0: The Canucks have already added to their team on Free Agency Day. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Jamie Dodd, and welcome back to Canucks insider Thomas Drance, uh, who, of course, also covers the show at The Athletic. He's back for Free Agency Day. Canucks Hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Being a champion takes foresight. Build your company to win for years to come with fuel-efficient and reliable Kubota skid steers, excavators, and loaders from Avenue Machinery. Avenue A couple of moves already, a couple of interesting moves. In particular, the latest one that was just announced, the Canucks reaching an agreement with former Leafs forward Ilya Mikheyev. Four years, $4.75 million AAV to join the team. That's on top of the Curtis Woo! Lazar deal. I, so I saw Curtis Lazar coming, Drance. That one did not surprise me at all. I said it on the show yesterday. Yeah, if I had to make one prediction for the Canucks, it would be Curtis Lazar. Did not see the Ilya Mikheyev one coming, at least not given the team's cap situation going into today.
1: Yeah, I thought Mikheyev was the type of deal they'd do if they had already moved out some cap space, right? Here's the thing about Ilya Mikheyev, right? Really good. He might be without the puck, and I want to I make a very vital distinction. Without the puck, he might be the fastest player in the league, like up there with Connor McDavid. He wins a ton of puck battles because he's always first to the puck. Now, with the pucks, a very different, different <laughs> matter, right? And Mikhaev had a tremendous scoring season last year, but it was completely out of line with everything else we've ever seen him do in the NHL. I don't expect him to be a 20-goal guy, right? And that's sort of where the rubber meets the road here. At $4.75 million, that's bona fide second-line forward money, right? You're paying him to be a second-line forward. And that implies that you're going to score, that you're going to produce, and I I just don't see him as a guy who's going to be a consistent point producer. I really don't. I, I love the speed. I think he brings an element that this club sorely needed. Um, but I don't know. Like it, it's one of those things where his he's going to have a top six impact in terms of his defensive play, but I don't think the counting stats are going to be there consistently. And so I do wonder how a deal like that is going to age.
0: It's um it's a hard one to evaluate because you're right. We do tend to just when you get money as a free agent, right? It's about the bottom line. It's about points. It's about production. But as you said, McKeough can do a lot of things really, really well for your team that don't involve necessarily putting up points. He's going to help their penalty kill. Obviously, you talked about the forecheck and his speed with the puck. He he has really good uh, defensive impacts. You know, he he's actually pretty good at driving. Uh, offensive possession, even if, as you said, he's not good at necessarily a, a talented finisher, despite his right. goal total from last year. So
1: and a tremendous penalty killer, exactly, which is there.
0: a really big addition for this team. So he's going to do some things very, very well. But it could be a situation where you know he finishes he finishes the season with you know 14 goals and 28 points or something like that, and it, it won't look great next to the AV. But I do think there's going to be some significant value. It's just it's going to be a tricky one to really judge, given the type of player he is.
1: Well, and it, it does put the cl- club in a position where you know you've now spent five point seven five of your remaining seven, you know, point two or whatever they had. They probably have one more space on the twenty three man roster here. Presumably, that'll be a bunch of audition type players. But with this blue line, you know, it, it feels like it feels like this move is sort of a different sentiment than the conservatism the club has showed to this point, right? And I think committing this type of term and dollars to a player without having reallocated some cap space means you're really placing a big whopping bet on a blue line that I just don't think is at the level that this club needs it to be at if they're going to be one of the top three teams in the Pacific, even a reduced Pacific with Johnny Gaudreau heading
0: eastward. And the the thing with the defense is it's cap space, but it's also just it's – they already have so many bodies locked up, right? So if you're bringing people in, you, you by almost by definition need to be moving someone else out. And as as we've heard and as we've seen around the league, that's a lot easier said than done. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. This text came in. Uh, How is he not a 20 goal guy when he had 21 goals in 53 games? Please elaborate. I think the answer to that is his shooting percentage took a really, really significant spike, right? Basically doubled (laughs) from his career average to all the way to 14% last year. So you typically when you see that, that's, that's a kind of a one year aberration. Now, look, who knows, depending on how he's deployed and who he's playing with, could he sniff 20 goals again? Yeah, sure. Things like that happen. But I don't think it's a situation... Look, you're not signing Ilya Mikheyev for his goal-scoring prowess, right? And again, I think he can do a lot of other things that will really help the team. But if you're kind of saying, all right, we got this guy that we can lock in for 20 goals, that's not necessarily what uh, a safe expectation for the player.
1: Well, and when you're locking a guy in for 4.75, I feel like that should be a reasonable expectation, right? In addition to uh, other qualities, other important qualities. So... You know, in that respect, this move leaves me cold in terms of a will certainly begin to change the style of play this club, you know, is, is capable of into a more sort of Rutherfordian form, for lack of a better word. Um, You know, he'll do that. He'll do that for sure, without question. Now, one other thing that interests me about this signing is Mikhaev wants opportunity, right? That's a key part of what Mikhaev has wanted, typically speaking, uh, even in his Toronto days, right? I mean, I don't know if you remember last summer, but there was um, some trade rumors around him, some reports of dissatisfaction. Like, he wants to play higher up the lineup. He wants a chance to prove that he can score. And on this team, without a a move coming, right, it's sort of hard to find a way that he fits into that top six forward group, right? Uh, And yet... I would bet dollars to donuts that that's where he's going to start the season now.
0: Well, and that raises the question. And I think this is, you know, you can just get to this question by looking at the Canucks salary cap sheet right now as well. Is this a, a move that is kind of a harbinger of another move coming up, right. Of a, as a, of another forward going out in some respect, because, you know, you look at the addiction, uh, the addition as well of, of Curtis Lazar, they, they've added a couple of forwards today and, you you know, Jim Rutherford said yesterday with uh, with Sat and Dan Riccio on Canuck Central that, look, they haven't been able to move out any of the players they've talked to other teams about, but maybe that becomes a possibility. And I do wonder now, you know, whether it's Tanner Pearson, whether it's Connor Garland, look, we'll talk about JT Miller at some point today as well, if that becomes uh, not necessarily an imperative, but something that the team at least feels a little bit more confident they can do, because you're right, if you want to give McKay an opportunity... It's hard to see exactly where that comes, given who they have under contract right now.
1: One would think that there has to be another move coming. And, you know, which is sort of why I say it feels out of it's it's it feels like a different voice with which the organization is speaking from the one that is to this point tracked in in an incredibly conservative fashion. Uh, toward a off-season of very little change, right? To, to to the point where we were looking at this thinking, okay, are they doubling down on this roster? The Makayev move, you know, certainly makes it seem that seem like that. And yet, if you were really doubling down on this roster, wouldn't that require an upgrade of the blue line? Something the club has been far more vociferous about the need to do, right? In Both in public and in private. Um, I think it really comes down to, like, I think the club was in on Labushkin. Right. I Mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons that Labushkin ends up at two times 2.75, I think the Canucks were in on that. Um, So it's not as if they haven't checked the market so much as clearly uh, they've prioritized speed and balance up front first. And one wonders if maybe the defensive upgrade will have to come via trade.
0: Uh, the the Canucks were in on a Russian player you don't say that's <laughs> uh, stunning from <laughs> yeah. from what we've seen on them but yeah L- <laughs> L- Labushkin was one of those guys that you thought maybe would be a fit but again if there was space if they were able to move something out in uh, in addition to uh, or sorry in addition to making some of these other moves That they're making lots of texts coming in. People are fired up. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Chet in Burnaby says, With today's signings, I would be both dumbfounded and flabbergasted if the Canucks do not move out at least two bodies. That's from Chet in Burnaby. And I thought this was an interesting one. Would Ilya Mikheyev be a good pairing with Elias Pettersson? Uh, Part of Pettersson's difficulty had been having time and space as defenders keyed in. Uh, Does this play to Pettersson's strengths weaknesses. And you know, before we get into specifically, could he play with this guy? Could he play with that guy? The ability of Mikheyev on the forecheck does make him, to me, an interesting fit to potentially be a complementary player to some of the high-skill players for the Canucks, right? To be that kind of retrieval guy who does the dirty work, gets the puck to the other players, and then lets them uh, kind of work their magic in the offensive zone. And as you said, if he's sliding into a top-six role, that might be the kind of way the Canucks envision using him at some point.
1: Yeah, I'd want to see him with Pedersen right off the bat, just because Pedersen's such a lethal finisher when he can get ahead of steam, and yet teams are always on top of him, right? I mean, the game plan for Pedersen starts with don't let him get started moving. Uh, Mikhaev's a guy who you almost can't stop from getting started. He's just that quick, Uh, even though, again, his speed with the puck is a little different from his speed without it. You still have to respect of speed when he's on the ice. That that should create some neutral zone space for Pettersson. So, uh, you know, it's it's a pretty interesting dynamic here. I just think when you put this group together, you know, you, it, there's almost no way to draw it up that doesn't result in Hoaglander on the fourth line, for example, mm-hmm. right? Is that something the club's going to be comfortable with? Or do they kind of need to move? And we've been saying this forever. Like, do they need to reallocate roster spots and cap space into their defensive group?
0: Um, you know, I'd vote yes. And that that's going to be the big question now, right? Because I think the... And, and we can talk about Curtis Lazar in just a second here because that's the other, uh, you know, clear-cut NHL signing. They've made a couple of AHL signings as well, which we can mention at some point. But the other clear-cut NHL signing is Curtis Lazar. And I don't want to say, okay, you know, the forward group, done and dusted, no problem, you're good to go. But there's certainly a lot of bodies and a lot of bodies that you feel comfortable playing in an NHL lineup, feel pretty good about playing in an NHL lineup, and... At forward, so the big question now is going to be: How do you reshape this defense? And and somebody texted in here. I just lost it, but you know, Jim Rutherford made the point that this one here it is unsigned. It says uh, JR has already said they won't be able to fix the blue line overnight. It may take another season. And if you're talking about you know fix to the point where they feel really, really good about the blue line and they think they can be competitive with it and, you know, push to go deep in the playoffs. Yeah, that's not going to happen overnight. I understand that. But I think what people are wondering and what we're going to see here is can you start the process of reshaping it, right? Can you at least get it pointed in that direction? And, you know, I did just see uh, one of, I know, your favorite potential targets for the Canucks, Brett Kulak. It looks like he's going to be going back to Edmonton. But again, at this point, I'm not even sure they are... They have the kind of cap space, the roster space, to go out and dip in to the defenseman free agent market before some other moves materialize for them.
1: No, not at two point seven five, right? So, so it goes. I, I mean, I think they're, I think they would have loved to have played in that market, particularly because there does seem to be some value there. I don't hate Kulak at two point seven five times four. I certainly don't hate Labushkin at two point seven times ta- uh, five times two, and we'll see where Zadorov and some of the other guys come in, but. I do think there's a world where there's some value to be had on the blue line. No way the Canucks can chase it at the moment with where they're positioned. I think both Other of those... Other moves need to come first. Both
0: of those deals, the Kulak and the Labushkin one, are kind of... If you had been able to create cap space, those are really interesting deals, right? If you had been For able sure. to play in that market, especially the Labushkin one, because of the short term and the need on the right side, those are... Well, really see, re- I
1: like the Kulak one because he can play the right side. Sure. Like, I kind of thought... I kind of thought that Ian Cole, Zadorov, Kulak, uh, type that player who could play the left or right. So you could see an Oliver ekman Larson Quinn Hughes pair, or you could see Oliver ekman Larson play with Myers, and this player could play on the right side with Hughes. I thought I thought those might be attractive options for the team. Obviously they've obviously they've prioritized speed and sandpaper above all else. I think they I think they're I think they know that they need to revamp the blue line, and I think they know that it's going to have to come on the trade market.
0: Yeah, and uh, this one, this text comes in. Hey, guys, so how many more of Dan Milstein's guys can, can we sign? I mean, we'll see. I don't know. I don't have the list in front of me of who's out there, but that yeah, that has certainly been uh, a theme recently for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, lots well, c- you had to overpay one to land Kuzmenko, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, that kind of horse trading would never happen. Never in professional never, sports, never. um No, you're right. Six, My bad. 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in. This one, uh, is there anything behind the Connor Garland trade rumors? And I mean, look, I, I, I think we're still kind of where we've been in terms of trade rumors with the Canucks for a long time now, which is, yeah, I'm sure they're taking calls on Connor Garland. And and I'm sure depending on how the chips fall for certain teams today, maybe there will be a little bit more interest in Connor Garland. You never know, but that it wouldn't shock me if that was the case. So, you know, on any individual player, I think the answer is yeah, they're probably listening, but I wouldn't expect anything to be imminent.
1: Yeah, I think that's about right. The way So, when I was in Montreal last weekend, and chatting with various contacts before before I spent five days in a dark room, <laughs> not doing my usual prep work ahead <laughs> of <a> free agency, <laughs> Jamie. Usually, right? The last five days I would have made a hundred phone calls, written thirty thousand words, and we would have done six hours of the show already, right? And instead, this week I've just been lights off in my bed, so I'm a little I'm a little less prepared than I usually would be on a on a big key day like this. But one one thing I can tell people is while we were here. Last week, I was surprised by the extent to which teams around the league thought that the guys that were most available from Vancouver were different from the guys being talked about most publicly, right? So publicly, it was Myers and Miller, right, mm-hmm. going into the draft. Mm-hmm. And and within sort of the NHL environment, within the industry, the two names everyone was pretty confident Vancouver would move – was Ekman Larson and Garland. And so I found that a little bit. Ekman uh, Larson, really? Yeah, I found that surprising. Very interesting. Uh, you know, I suppose if you zoom out and just think about it globally, it's not surprising, right? But I found it surprising because it was at such odds with what I was hearing, um, you know, publicly in, in public reporting. So uh, take that for what it's worth. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the club would be. Um, slamming down the phone if someone were to call and, and ask about Garland. I just think the club's been really focused on young players. And let's be honest, we just don't see young players move very much in this league.
0: And we also, I think, have really gotten a sense over the last week or so, and we knew it intellectually, right, coming into this part of the season, this part of the offseason, but we've really gotten a sense of just how incredibly difficult it is to get teams to take on salary, to open up cap space, right? It is very, very difficult. I mean, you saw with the wave of players that weren't given qualifying offers, right, and how many of them came onto the market strictly because teams were trying to, uh, you know, keep as much cap space open as possible going in to free agency just quickly on the OEL point. Now, having said that, and, and look, I know you're not reporting, Oh, they're going to trade OEL or anything like that. Just that it was kind of no, no, no. chatter no, out there. Just yeah. industry belief. Yep.
1: Uh, uh, industry believed that he would be, avail- that the he one, could be available. The one,
0: the one thing that caught my eye in regard to that. And I honestly can't remember the timeline. If, if you and I have talked about this or not, but was the Ryan McDonough deal to Nashville. Right. And the fact that right. they, that Tampa Bay got off the full freight of that. Now, Ryan McDonough has the Stanley Cup pedigree. Different type of player. One, I believe one less Curious. year and a little bit one less year and a little bit uh, uh, less money on the deal. But veteran left-handed defenseman has a pedigree. All of that and that just not that I'm saying oh there and therefore it'd be easy to trade OEL or anything like that. But that just kind of piqued my interest. Right? That hey veteran left-handed defenseman with a certain amount of pedigree certain amount of money left on his deal he was able to be moved it just made me consider if it was going to be slightly more possible than we might have thought on oel
1: yeah and we'll see I mean I don't I think it's a I think that's a tough one and and so you know I think what the club's trouble resetting this roster has sort of shown is a topic that we've discussed a lot which is that you know it kind of has to work with this group because it's so hard to disassemble right? And I think we've seen that. Like, I think we've now seen that over the course of the past seven months. Like, with this franchise talking about their need to carve out cap space as a major priority, and now we're, you know, through a trade deadline that they've managed, a buyout window that they've managed, and a draft that they've managed, and they've actually added commitments, <laughs> all told, right? I mean, they've they've added commitments following the Mikhaev, um, the Makayev signing. So, You know, I think we've seen how hard it is to dissemble this group. And yet, you know, can you go into this season with such a top-loaded forward group and such an undermanned blue line? I I mean, I I don't know how you make the playoffs. Constructed that way.
0: Let's run through uh, a few of the smaller signings that the Canucks have made. Most recently, breaking, they've signed Dakota Joshua. Most recently with the St. Louis Blues, played 30 games with the Blues, 35 games uh, for their spring, uh, their AHL team in Springfield last year for the Blues. Had 20 points in those 35 AHL games. Big guy, six foot three, over 200 pounds. So that that strikes me as you know, come in, compete for a roster spot. If you earn the, if you earn it. You make it on the big team, that's great, but we'd certainly love to have you in Abbotsford as well. That's one. Uh, one announced earlier today on defense, Wyatt Kalanuck, who I believe was signed to a two-way deal, left-handed defenseman, 25 years old, most recently in the Chicago organization. And then in the crease, uh, Colin Delia uh, also signed, uh, and, and he yeah. played a little bit in Chicago, mostly in with, the AHL.
1: Uh, yeah, and familiarity with Jeremy Colton there. With, uh, with Dakota Joshua, pretty interesting guy. In terms of being a group five guy, so or sorry, a group six UFA. So, nah, I think it is group five. Group five UFA. That group six felt wrong in my mouth, so I'm going to correct. I think group it's five group and then six. I'll look it up at the break. I think it's is group it? six.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty okay, sure.
1: So it goes. Again, I'm I'm not up to my usual standard. With uh, cut me some slack, Jamie. <laughs> yes. With yes, uh, yes. with regards with regards to Joshua, this is a guy. One of one of those guys, he hits unrestricted free agency at twenty-five because he didn't have enough service time logged, enough NHL games played, uh, which is sort of a, a little-known but um, wrinkle in the CBA. And for players hitting that sort of Group Six status right now, you have to look at their career to this point a little bit differently because you know he comes out of college. Where he was super productive, and, and you'll have to look that up for me. I think it was I think it was oh, Maine or New Hampshire. Ohio State. Ohio State. Ohio State. Where he was pretty productive, right? Like he was a solid NHL type profile down there. And then he turns pro, and it's basically like a season wasted sitting on a uh taxi squad, right? Playing like 10 and AHL games, much like Jack Rathbone. And then another season where it's sort of disrupted in this year that he sort of gets into the league and actually performs pretty well on that Blues fourth line. Uh, pretty good on faceoffs, Like, really good on faceoffs in the AHL. Pretty good at the NHL level. Uh, some toughness to his game. Some energy. Not sure about the skating or puck skills. Like, I, I, I'm i not sure that he's an everyday NHL player. I, I'd probably lean against it. But considering how disrupted is, his pro runway has been there might be more there right this might be a guy who's 25 but in terms of his development track record should almost be looked at as being uh, like a 23 year old player in terms of what runway he may yet have to improve just because he hasn't had enough reps at the pro ranks so I like this gamble a fair bit although you know I looked into him early like three four weeks ago I, I fell into a rabbit hole and ended up watching a ton of Dakota Joshua tape. And <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm like I'm, why on earth? I think he's I mean, I guess uh, it's paying off. It worked out. But. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got lucky. but <laughs> but the the, um, but the, uh, the fact is is that blues fourth line, you know he, there's some limitations. I, I do think there's some limitations in terms of his puck skills at this point. But but I like the bet. I like the thought process behind it, even if I have some doubts about the player.
0: Also, an uh, interesting point made by Corey Hergott on Twitter, which is that uh, Dakota Joshua actually played six games for the Utica Comets. Remember when they were sharing the Utica Comets or the St. Louis Blues were sending right. some players to Utica as well? So, of course, that was when Trent Cull was there, uh, now an assistant coach uh, with the Vancouver Canucks, of course, and, and Hergott says, uh, who follows the the uh, followed the Utica Comets, of course, very closely, he says, I believe Cull was a fan of of Joshua's game and energy. So just a little bit of familiarity there from uh, one of the Canucks new coaches with Dakota Joshua. Lots happening around the, the league. deepest J-
1: Dakota Joshua d- dives you That's will right. find in the Vancouver market. That at the Canucks is hour.
0: right. Um, lots <laughs> happening around the league including some some really interesting things in Tampa Bay. So we'll keep hitting the Canucks but we're going to turn our attention around the league as well. Some extensions you're going to want to hear about from the Tampa Bay Lightning. Lots more reaction to NHL free agency coming up. It's the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.
1: Welcome home, where it's all about right place, right time.
0: Welcome back to the show. It is Canucks Hour here on Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. Free agency day in the NHL. Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance here with you for another special extended edition of the show. Hit us up. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative, visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online at Dumbarlumber.com. If you're just joining us, if you're just catching up, the Canucks have made a couple of interesting additions today. Curtis Lazar signs a three-year deal worth $1 million per season. Ilya Mikheyev, four years $4.75 million per season. Also added on smaller deals, Wyatt Kalanick, a left-handed defenseman, uh, Dakota Joshua, and the goalie Colin Delia as well. We'll get into all of the Canuck stuff. Uh, there's some interesting dominoes that have yet to fall but could fall and maybe impact the JT Miller market. We'll talk about that. I did want to go around the league a little bit, and just as we were wrapping up, that last segment transfer, the Tampa Bay Lightning, not free agency necessarily dipping into, but some very very interesting contract announcements from uh, the Stanley Cup runners up this year. So three eight year deals, three eight year extensions that won't be kicking in this year, but will be kicking in the following season for their for their own players. Mikhail Sergachev, eight years, eight point five million AAV. Anthony Sorelli, again, eight years, $6.25 And Eric Chernak, eight years, $5.2 AAV. So the Tampa Bay Lightning, I mean, it's just kind of eye-popping to see that much money handed out by one team in such a short time span. They are locking up uh, and, and kind of expanding the core, I would say, as well, to include those three players and locking them up for the long term.
1: Yeah. I, I think about, though, Jamie... What we've talked about so often about the pact that the Tampa Bay Lightning make with their players. The way that they manage those second contracts, right? And it was after their first cup win, I believe, or maybe it was before, right before. But these guys all signed bridge deals. Uh, Sorry. So I think for Sorelli and Sergishev, it was, yeah, the fall of 2020. They were all the fall of 2020, weren't they? I believe they were. Anyway, they do these deals, they grind their guys on their second contracts. They take an absolute bath on their second contracts. And this is everybody happened to Kucherov happened to Vasilevsky happened to Braden point. And what happens the very first day, all of those players have been eligible to sign extensions. They've signed max term extensions, right? In, in the case of the first three players who, you know, (laughs) con Smythe winners and future hall of famers, right? 9.5, 9.5 times eight. And in the case of these guys, it's a slightly lower cap hit, but the approach is exactly the same. This is an organization that manages their second contracts and gets team-friendly outcomes for the first seven years and arguably beyond. I mean, Sorelli was going to make more than 6.2 if he hit the open market, right? Cernak would have made more than Mm -hmm. his cap figure, too. If he'd hit the open market, but the point is, is that you keep this agreement intact, and it gives you an internal cap structure that allows you to maintain relationships with players, even when you drive such a hard bargain the way that they have in bridge negotiations.
0: Sorelli and Cernak, and, and we should mention Sorelli is twenty four, uh, Circuit Jeff twenty four, Cernak twenty five. The the Sorelli and the Cernak ones. The, that Those, I think, are smart bets, especially when you're getting the term and you expect at some point the cap will go up. Sergachev, one, would make me a little bit nervous, and, and I know he has that talent. He can be a big point producer, but 8.5 for that player, that, that one makes me a little bit nervous. But, hey, they're the Tampa Bay Lightning. They'll probably figure out a way to make it work. And just looking at uh, cap-friendly right now, 12 players under contract next season, uh, so th- not this coming season, but the one following, the 2023-24 year, for the Tampa Bay Lightning. 12 players at a total of $73.7 million <laughs> committed for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Stars so, and scrubs, baby. B- there will be Stars some- and well, scrubs. And that it's an interesting point because, so we saw Vincent Trocek go to the New York Rangers, right, and... I think a lot of people's reaction to that was, and that news was started to kind of come out last night, early this morning, right? I don't know how it possibly could have happened like that since we know teams weren't allowed to talk to players until uh, 9 a.m. today. But anyways, Mm. Vincent Trocek goes to the New York Rangers, somehow gets seven years, and... I think the reaction when people started hearing that my reaction certainly was. Well, okay, I guess that's a destination for JT Miller off the board. Right? Oh, okay, they went out, they signed a center in free agency, not as good, but they didn't have to give up assets, won't cost them as much in the years to come. Maybe that's not a destination for JT Miller anymore despite, you know, how much we've heard their name connected with the player. Now, I tweeted this out earlier on the Sportsnet panel, Jeff Merrick said, you know, he's been told it doesn't necessarily take them out of the JT Miller running. And you just look at how New York's cap situation lines up and kind of compare it to Tampa Bay, okay, they've got long-term money committed to Artemi Panarin, Mika Zibanejad, Adam Fox, Jacob Jacob Truba, uh, Chris Kreider, and now Vincent Trocek. But as you said, if you're going to pursue a stars and scrubs type of model, right, and they don't have a lot, they don't have other money beyond that, they're just committed to their stars, do you have room, potentially, for one more kind of star-level contract, right? Even You know, even beyond the guys you've already had because i think a lot of people would have looked at tampa and said, "Nope, they have too many long-term big money deals on the books, they're going to have to make something happen." And instead they said, "No, you know what? We're confident in our in our ability to find that cheap talent. We're going to keep these guys here." And it did just make me kind of look at New York in a different light and say, maybe that's an approach they could take as well as you call it the stars and scrubs model going forward.
1: Yeah, i mean the the New York issue is that their cap space is going to start to be cannibalized by some of these young players, right? If Philip Heedle builds off of that playoff run, right? If uh, Ke'Andre Miller continues to develop into one of the the game's best physical defensemen, uh, and if Alexis Lafreniere delivers on the scoring potential that he's got, well, they're all due raises next year, and that becomes mighty complicated, right? I mean you know that they're not going to have a ton of space right now 17 18 million basically projected following this season for those three players like that alone becomes pretty difficult and then there's the matter of you know fleshing out the rest of your roster because that 65 million <laughs> that I'm talking about would uh, would only account for 11 players right so yeah things are going to get tight in a hurry for the New York Rangers, without question, as they go forward here. But, you know, Miller, uh, I find it hard to figure out how there's a fit there. I find it hard to figure out how there's a fit there long term, but they've also just improved, right? And if they're near the top of the league again, having been to the Eastern Conference final, um, does the marginal value of the rental? Uh, appeal to them nonetheless, and you figure it out on the other side. And maybe you think that you can convince a guy to take a lower cap hit for max term or, or what have you, right? Especially if you're winning and you're in New York and the endorsement opportunities are flying and you get to play with, you know, your best friend and in Miller's case, Vin- him and Vincent Trocheck are, are very close. Uh, I mean, maybe, I, I guess I can see it. I definitely don't think the Trocheck effect hurts the Rangers cause because As a potential Miller destination, but I I don't know how it would work unless it was as a rental type deal.
0: Yeah, it definitely pushes it more into the realm of we're going all in this year, so we'll get him as a rental. And hey, maybe, as you said, look, maybe we figure something out and all of a sudden an extension comes together, but we're not going to worry about it. It's not going to be a precondition of doing the deal. That would seem to be the play from a Rangers point of view if they were still going to be involved uh, with JT Miller uh, lots of texts coming in. Keep them coming. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, You and I haven't really had a chance to talk about the Curtis Lazar signing. Three years. Term a little bit surprising, but at only $1 million, I don't have a problem with that. And this is a guy, you know, I think a lot of people saw this one coming. I know when we talked about your kind of shopping list or the Vancouver Canucks, how can they add speed to the bottom six? Lazar was a guy that came up, and you just look at it and... The reason it's not surprising, checks so many boxes, right-handed center, uh, can kill penalties, has that speed, you know. obviously has a little bit of offensive upside. We all remember his days as a top prospect, and then he's from BC. So you, you just kind of add it all up, and yeah, this one fits pretty well. Again, the term a little bit surprising, but at $1 million, you can bury it, you can do different things. I don't see it being a massive risk from a Canucks perspective.
1: Yeah, I I expected the Canucks to be interested in Lazar. I'm surprised that his cap hit came in at one million. To be totally honest, clearly the club added that extra year uh, to ward off other suitors. You know, there was interest in Lazar, like for teams shopping for that fourth line center archetype player. You know, I think Lazar had a lot of mileage around the league. Like, I was talking to teams who thought that he was the best player to fill that role available in free agency. Um, so, not shocked at all that he ended up coming in at $3 million total. I just thought it would be $1.5 times two, right? Like, I, I thought that they'd get to $3 million in a different way. I like the way that they've done this, though, because he's still relatively young. Well, that's the thing. For a, like you're... for a UFA,
0: he's 27, right? He just turned 27 yeah, in February. He's...
1: And he's going through, well, he's been a UFA before because he's been non-tendered, right? I mean, he's uh, had a pretty interesting route through the NHL to this point. But he's become a pretty interesting defensive piece, right? A a useful defensive piece, not really capable as a matchup type defensive piece to this point in his career. But, you know, bottom of the lineup, gentleman's agreement defensive piece who can play safe minutes for you, um, win some draws. Not a great faceoff winner, but a reliable one. Ah uh, kill some penalties, but probably not as the first guy out over the over the over the boards whenever a penalty is taken. and he's assertive. he's annoying. he's pugnacious. He's a really good four checker. He's in the mix constantly and he's in the mix constantly without almost ever putting his team shorthanded. There's a lot of value there. like that is a sneaky um a sneaky dark art that, that Lazar brings and and a really useful one particularly for a team who, you know, maybe doesn't have the best penalty-killing personnel <laughs> in hockey. <laughs> and so, although Mikhaev will help. Uh, so that that's sort of how you get there. And, I, you know, I like it. I like I like everything about the Lazar bet. I think the Lazar bet was sort of more what I expected from the Canucks as opposed to the Mikhaev deal. And, you know, I, I just wonder, particularly as we review the names still available here, I wonder if uh, ultimately there was uh, ways to get Mikhaev-like value uh, for cheaper on the market. And one example who's, who's signed now is uh, Frank Vitrano, who signed for a year fewer and about a million less, right? And if you're looking for a guy who can score, for example, you know, I think Frank Vitrano fits the bill. Like, I think Frank Vatrano is going to have more goals next season than, um, than Mikhail. I actually have very little doubt about it.
0: This text comes in uh, with the, or sorry, from uh, Chef Graham in Kelowna, who says, Cue the money in, money out Rutherford Alvine strategy. Writing is on the wall uh, for a Garland trade. McCabe seems like a better fit for the regime's vision. He says, Let's go. And I, I, we've had a couple of people text in now because if you just look at the deals, right, Connor Garland has four years left uh, at 4.9 on his deal. McCabe obviously. People realize signs.
1: Garland's a materially better player. Right? Absolutely.
0: But I think the point that they're like, making. No, do, do they? Well, do they? I think most people would say that. Yeah, just based on the offensive production the, the, as yeah, opposed I mean, to there's Mikheyev. No, there's no question. But I understand drawing the connection between the deal that Mikheyev signed, right, and in very, very similar terms to what Garland has left and and looking at it and saying, you know, not that you saved money, which is kind of the missing part of this, right, but you did, they added a player who, has, as the texture says, maybe fits their vision a little more, checks some boxes that Connor Garland doesn't. Uh, does that mean that, you know, Connor Garland could be the the corresponding move to to free up that cap space. Again, who knows? We'll see where it goes from here. I think it's going to be the kind of thing where maybe the dust has to settle a little bit on free agency on what happens around the leagues uh, around the league and then uh, and then we will see if there is a market for Connor Garland, for any of the other Canucks players that might be out there on the trade market. Again, 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Keep your thoughts coming in on free agency day is there anything else around the league that's really caught your eye so far Drance Or either in a positive light or in a oh my goodness how on earth did they give that deal to that guy kind of sense you know
1: not yet not yet I almost think the deal that's given me the most sticker shock is the Makayev deal to be totally honest with you see for um, me for I me it's the,
0: for me it's Trocek the, the Trocek term
1: yes the Trocek term yeah that that yeah, really surprised me Fair enough. I, I, you know, I think the people who address the goal, their goalie issues, uh, creatively, gambling on guys that maybe we're rolling our eyes at. I think they're going to outperform the teams that paid in term and money. Like I, I would not be shocked at all if Ottawa with Cam Talbot and uh, Toronto with this Murray um, Samsonov combo. And, you know, New Jersey with Vanacek, like I think those teams will end up on aggregate having improved their positioning and net more than the Washington Capitals and the Edmonton Oilers. That's sort of one quick takeaway, like the goalie market was so overheated and so oddly driven by the scarcity of puck stoppers that, you know, I feel like. I feel like at the end of the day, the the teams that won and didn't have to resort to those tactics will end up being the teams that end up being um, mo- like most poorly served by the by the course of action that they took. In terms of a Canucks takeaway from that, by the way, if Spencer Martin is really ready here, right? If Spencer Martin can give this team nine ten save percentage goaltending, he was like nine sixty in eight games last year. So I'm giving him a fair bit of space to come back to earth. <laughs> If he can be 910 and play 20 to 25, right? And the Canucks go into next season settled in net with a net spend under six million between the pipes, right? That's going to be a massive efficiency, a massive competitive advantage for this team next offseason, based on how we saw the goalie market sort of, um, the, the goalie carousel spin, I suppose, this offseason.
0: Yeah, I mean, the market and rager text in Campbell making the same amount as Demko is insane. Yeah, it looks like a pretty nice deal from a from a Vancouver Canucks perspective. No doubt about although, that.
1: Go, although, go check their career numbers. Go check their career numbers and get back to me.
0: What, Jack Campbell and Thatcher Demko? Yep, go check their I mean, career sure. numbers. I'd rather have Thatcher Demko, though. Uh, no question.
1: <laughs> Sorry. No question. I'm just saying, from a from a contracts comparable perspective, it's like, you know, they're, they're mirror images almost. It's it's actually uncanny the extent to which one of their reputations is so much uh, greater than the other. And yet the statistical performance identical.
0: And just to get everyone caught up. Yeah, Jack Campbell, as widely expected, officially going to the Edmonton Oilers, five years, five million. Darcy Kemper, this was just made official, even though everyone saw the writing on the wall. Uh, five years to the Washington Capitals, five point two five million. dollars, As you mentioned, Ilya Samsonov goes to the Leafs to back up Matt Murray or at least be a tandem with Matt Murray. One year, $1.8 million. Martin Jones, local product, ends up with the Seattle Kraken. Thomas Grice to St. Louis and former Canucks, uh, former Canuck backup Yarrow Halak is going to the New York Rangers to be the backup to Shesterkin there. So that gets you caught up on the the goalie carousel around the NHL. Right now, Kevin from Calgary says with McKay edition, I see Pearson becoming irrelevant, not Garland. And again, I don't think it means any one player is all of a sudden, oh, this guy has to go. I think it increases the likelihood. And Detroit Bryan texted in as well Tanner Pearson more likely to be traded than Garland. That one's interesting because. With Tanner Pearson, obviously it's a lower number, less term than Connor Garland, but he's also not moving the needle for you necessarily like Connor Garland. And I really like Tanner Pearson as a player, so I'm not sure necessarily how to handicap the respective markets for the two players, right? between Garland and Tanner Pearson, because we see time and time again how, much, how how teams are unwilling to really commit to taking on that term and that salary uh, that a player like Garland does have. But yeah, I, I get it. Those are the those are the two forwards that you look at and say if you could find a way to move them and get some value back, you'd really like to be able to do it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, one other thing I suppose I'm struck by before we go to break is it does feel like, particularly with skaters, there is a different level of discipline, spending discipline. You know, I'm shocked as we sort of near the end of the second hour of the free agent frenzy that there aren't many contracts, you know, that we were trying to list it earlier, right? Mm-hmm. We're thinking like Trochek's term, Mikhaev. You know, There, there's just not a lot out there right now that seems, you know, wildly out of sorts. And we're used to seeing a lot of it, right? Like we're used to seeing uh-huh. the day characterized by, you know, our, our eyes popping out of our skulls as we, what, that guy got what? And this free agent frenzy to this point... Feels pretty restrained by the standards that we've become used to, um, which in combination with the lack of trade activity, right? The difficulty for teams to move mistakes, because it wasn't just the Canucks either, right? Like, again, what we've we've been talking about. It wasn't just the Canucks who struggled to move cap commitments ahead of the opening of the market, right? Everyone did. There were basically four trades in which teams moved a non-goalie and sent out cap space in the move. Uh, And and one of those teams paid heavily And the Edmonton Oilers paid, you know, two seconds and a third, right? The Vegas Golden Knights had to take back Shea Weber. I mean, these were big, big prices paid by teams that wanted to clear salary commitments. And now we're seeing a relatively conservative or restrained approach approach, excuse me, from the balance of the league in evaluating skaters in particular. Goalies, we've seen a couple of contracts that maybe make us feel like we're back in uh, 2014, <laughs> but but forwards and defense defenders are signing for mostly reasonable numbers, and so I sort of think that we're seeing almost delayed, like maybe maybe later than we should have, the impact of the flat cap felt in terms of the premium value that teams are assigning to cap space and how that's almost more decisive in explaining um, from a macro sense like industry behavior team behavior than the usual things like need and fit right and desire to make an impact or uh, motivate the fan base It, it feels like people have really caught up to just how protective you have to be with your cap space
0: the one that surprised me in the sense that it didn't give me sticker shock, but is the type of player that normally I would associate and predict that for was Andrew Cop, right? Five years to the Detroit Red Wings, 5.625. And not that I necessarily look at it and say, wow, that's an incredible bargain. But relative to what we typically see in free agency for a player like Andrew Kopp, I, I was a little surprised at that number. And, you know, it's interesting because coming into in the days leading up to free agency, like I look at the Ricard Raquel deal in Pittsburgh and the fact that he got six years. I look at the fact that uh, Valerie Nichushkin got eight years out of Colorado I expected not to see necessarily the uh, the kind of prudence that we are seeing so far from NHL teams. So that has caught me a little bit by surprise for sure. Maybe some interesting uh, kind of Canucks ripple effects that we can get into. I will say, of course, now it's not going to be sticker shock when Johnny Gaudreau signs because we all know it's going to be a massive number. But we are waiting for still probably you know if you if you were to handicap who's going to get the most total money we're still waiting for Johnny Gaudreau. we're still waiting for Nazem Kadri we're still waiting for John Klingberg so those, those are three guys uh that could still really surprise us spoiler, potentially
1: spoiler spoiler alert but it's going to be Gaudreau.
0: who gets the most money oh for sure of course yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah but what i'm saying then then numbers 2 and 3 are probably Kadri and uh, and John Klingberg right, right. but I, as I said with Gaudreau, it's not like we're going to be shocked by the money because, yeah, he's going to get a ton of money. We all we all know that, right? So it's not yep. going to be sticker shock, but it is going to be a very big number. More reaction to all the latest news around the league. More reaction to what the Canucks have done today, where they stand, what other moves might follow what they've done today. Uh, and we'll keep you abreast of all of the latest signings around the league as well. You've got it on the Canucks Hour here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.